live from beyond the Beltway, this is Bruce Dumont with our weekly analysis of national politics, featured occasional injections of rumor and innuendo, all offered up by our panel of political insiders, pundits, power brokers, public servants, professors, and most importantly, plain-speaking Americans from coast to coast. Tonight, featuring commentary by liberal Democrat Mark Costello, Republican conservative attorney Josh Cantrell, Libertarian Eric Cohn, and a little bit later on, we'll be joined by Josh, uh, Josh Cronaut Crushauer, and he is the senior political analyst and reporter for Axios, and we will be looking into the hotly contested races for the U.S. Senate, which will control the, the, the battle for control of the U.S. Senate, and again, that will be uh, during our entire second hour this evening. Our program tonight coming to you from our home base at AM 560 WYND, that's uh, Salem Radio in uh, Elk Grove Village, just outside Chicago. Our phone lines open as they always are, toll free, 1-800-723-8289, 1-800-723-8289, love to get your response uh, to this past couple of weeks uh, in politics. I want to begin with uh, the story of, of the president and uh, his, uh, his illness at the moment. Uh, my question to you, Mark, is, and again, this is something, obviously, uh, um, a lot of people have had the virus. Donald Trump had the virus. Um, when when uh, Joe Biden gets the virus, um, as I watched it today, it was more of a health story, which brought up to me, okay, this is this is just another way to discuss his age. Mm -hmm. Do you agree or disagree with that? Uh, certainly, I, I saw two main narratives emerging from this. One was the, the Biden's health. He's you know he's he's elderly. He's seventy nine, uh, going to be eighty, right? And um, so you've got that narrative, but I also saw uh, uh, the media pushing a narrative about um, how he has access to the same treatments we all do, and there was this kind of uh, democratic small D narrative about yeah. about uh, healthcare coming out of there. Josh, what do you think? I, I first of all, I wish the president well, and I, I hope do. he gets better. I do. I uh, really soon. do. Uh, <laughs> and I say this because, from a nonpartisan standpoint. But as a concerned American, that, uh, that Kamala Harris is so close. awful, but so close. She is incompetent. She has invented a new language called word sound. Okay. But does, we wish him well. We wish him well anyway. We wish him well anyway. We, we certainly wish him well. Now, my, here's my question to you: Is the, the coverage of it though? Is it? Is it? Um, I mean, the Democrats have an issue because they're already discussing whether or not he is too old. And we're now looking at him when he's not feeling well. And, you know, I wouldn't want anybody cameras rolling on me when I didn't feel well either. But I'm wondering if the White House politically is under some pressure to push him to do things that a, a man of his age shouldn't be doing while he is recuperating. I've wondered about that, too, because they did roll out some pictures, which I, I, I didn't think they really needed to do. I, I think that Joe Biden is entitled to the five or six days that any person who's right. stricken with COVID, speaking from my own experience, I didn't want clients to see me on Zoom calls and the like when right. I had COVID. It was pretty miserable. But I'll say this. Well before he became sick with COVID, there was already discussion, and I heard it a lot off the record from my Democratic friends saying, we just cannot run this guy again. 
he is not, he is too old, and he is showing it. All right, let's hear from a Democrat how you feel about, uh, feel about that, Mark. Uh, well, you know, we, we've already got these images floating around. The Joe, Joe, his foot stuck in the pedal, and he's falling off the bicycle. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you know, I was saying to Josh uh, before we came on that we're going to have this two years <laughs> of, of questioning Biden, right, and, mm-hmm. and um, alternative people popping up. So, um, you know, he, he came in with the mantle of being a capable, experienced leader. And, and I, I think, you know, he's, you know, whether you like his policies or not, he's come in and he's delivering on, on much of what he yeah. said. But he wasn't Donald Trump. And, and That's he, the, the primary was, thing, I think, was I'm not Donald Trump. Right. But but I think what's been lost is, OK, now you're beyond, you know, not Donald Trump. And so what what is next? You know, and so we're, we're, we've got the stalemate in, in Congress. Uh, Biden's really doing limited, you know, unlike Trump, who was very free with his executive orders. Biden's been a little bit restrained in his use of his executive authority. Um, and so. But if you if, if we were to go to, you know, when you invite all your liberal friends over from the college, um, <laughs> what would they be saying? I mean, how, how I mean, you're, you're kind of soft peddling it right now. But but uh, is he red meat to some progressives? That they really want to dump him. They wish more people would, and they may not like. They may not want Kamala Harris. They may want to, mm-hmm. you know, a battle whether it's J.B. Pritzker or uh, uh, Governor Newsom. But uh. yes, yeah, cer- certainly, I don't. I you know, I I was not a Biden supporter. Um, you know, right. I didn't want Trump <laughs> certainly, but I was not a, a, a supporter of Biden. So I, I do think that. There's there's a, a whole population hungry for a fresh face. Does Bernie Sanders represent also at advanced age? Does he represent a guy that's ready for another run? In your view? Yeah, I, I don't. You know, I, I I like I like Bernie's personality. I like Bernie yeah. as a as a, a, a carrying the torch of the Progressive Party. But I don't think he's the candidate for 24. Yeah. Josh, they just sounds like they don't have a lot. I mean, I, I like our bench better than, than theirs, and I'll, I'll, I'll say, you know, just like Mark, I think, is intimating at least that he'd like to see some fresh blood, and I'm certainly hearing that from my Democratic friends. I want to see the same thing on the Republicans. Are you hearing it from your Republican friends? I know where you, I know where you stand. You were, you were a little bit reluctant when Trump was running, yes. then you became a very enthusiastic Trump supporter, yes. and uh, at least based on your past appearances on this program, uh, you are certainly uh, not a huge supporter now. Is that yeah, fair? That's fair. I'm, I, I got off the Trump train a, a couple of weeks after the election. I was willing to give him the time and space, given that it was a close loss in the Electoral College. But when he started floating the conspiracy theories about the Venezuelan voting machines and Dominion and the crazy stuff, mm-hmm. instead of pushing more legitimate arguments that the loosening of COVID, that COVID led to illegal or improper loosening of voting requirements. Well, that's when he started to lose me. And then his actions, or rather, well, actions and inactions on January 6th sort of sealed the deal. So he me. should have been talking about some of the issues that are on people's mind. I mean, if he has a, if he has a, 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 a cure for crime going, high, rising crime rates, it's got to be more than just we're going to blame the George Soros state's attorney, which is what's happening around the country. They're blaming, I mean, that, that seems to be the singular thing that 
Republicans have Democrats trapped on is they're running against George Soros on local issues as they relate to local crime issues. Well, I, and that's that's a little bit different than my criticism of Trump. I mean, what I running against George Soros is, is fair, in my opinion, because okay. he has, cre- I mean, Kim Fox, San Francisco, so many cities have... But how does that help Donald Trump? That's, that's my question. We do have to pause. 1-800-723-8029. I do want to hear from you. Uh, your president, you may not acknowledge that he's your president, but uh, the man that sits at 1600 North Pennsylvania Avenue is sick. He's got COVID. How do you feel? Are you concerned about his health or his welfare or his future? Back shortly. protect her home and family in a disaster, Karen was willing to wade through water, mud, and insurance paperwork. Yeah, I can do this. You go, Karen. By simply understanding and updating what her insurance covers and doesn't cover now, she'll be better prepared no matter when disaster strikes. Learn other simple ways to protect your home and family before a natural disaster at ready.gov. That's ready.gov. A message from FEMA and the Ad Council. At Jersey Mike's, you can elevate any sub by getting the juice. Red wine, vinegar, and an olive oil blend. It's how a Jersey Mike's sub gets its exquisite zing and how bites get boosted. The juice adds a certain something extra, an exclamation on top of the freshly sliced meats and toppings, the kind of exclamation you can eat. Order Jersey Mike's subs on our mobile app and get delivery right to your home or pick up from your nearest Jersey Mike's sub location. Jersey Mike's, be a sub above. This is the story of a very special woman. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician or an entrepreneur. Her knowledge was limitless and still is. She could also make monsters disappear, especially those that lurked in the shadows under the bed. Once, this woman put back together a teenage girl's broken heart, which had been shattered in a thousand pieces just by giving her a bear hug. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources at aarp.org slash caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, We'll probably stay together. Probably? (laughs) It's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, You should wait 30 minutes. Mm, Okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council.
From Lenin, California to Richmond, Virginia, you're listening to Beyond the Beltway, 1-800-723-8029. Nice to have you with us. Um, we did not hear from uh, Eric Cohn in our first segment. I want to get your reaction of uh, uh, the way the, uh, the health of the president is being handled, Eric. I think it is a concern. Um, he is a 79-year-old man, and he has just contracted a virus that has disproportionately affected older people. Uh, I think the point from the last segment that this underscores uh, his age is a very real one. And I think the Democrats are in a very unenviable position uh, because uh, really, if they have to prop him up to run again, he's going to run again in 2024 because of the chaos that it would engender if he were to decide not to run, because then he would immediately have to decide if he's going to endorse his vice president. And if he's not going to do that, then it is absolutely a free for all. And it is just an absolute mess that I'm sure the Democrats really want no part of. So whether or not it's a good idea that he runs again in 2024, I really don't see any chance that he doesn't as long as, again, he is uh, still in good enough health to do so. And again, we shall pray that he gets better from this diagnosis with the COVID uh, virus. Marcosello, I, I agree with the point about that. Uh, he, he not only has to announce whether he wants to run, he's got to make the decision on, uh, uh, you know, on Kamala Harris. And, uh, you know, I don't think she can be easily dumped from the ticket. No, I was just going to say the same thing, Bruce, that I, I think having witnessed the establishment Democrats over my lifetime, I, I, I see they're, they're probably uh, Biden's going to be in a position to anoint Kamala to take his place. And then you'll have uh, then you'll have the fight for that VP slot. Can she win? I, I think mean, I mean, let, let me let me put it this <clears> way. If if the Democratic candidate was the vice president now, Kamala Harris. Could she beat a Republican? Could she beat Donald Trump? Could she beat Ron DeSantis? Is she strong enough to be elected president of the United States, in your opinion? Mm -hmm. When she was campaigning, I thought she was stronger than she's governing. So I think she's a better campaigner than she is a VP. <laughs> based on what? <laughs> and she was, she and flamed she out of that primary so incredibly fast. Yeah. Based on what? Yeah. Can, it, there was let, that let, one moment. There was that one speech, Eric. You might have missed it in Sacramento yeah. when she. Yeah. Let, she, oh, yeah. I, let, let me just say that. Go ahead. I mean, this shows how important picking a vice president yeah. is, especially when the oldest man to take office is picking a running mate. So, I mean, what does it say about Joe Biden? And what does it say about the Democratic Party that they felt like they had to pick someone like Kamala Harris? And why did and why did John McCain pick Sarah Faye Palin? Mm -hmm. Exactly. And I don't mm -hmm. and I don't dislike Sarah Palin, but what I'm saying is the first decision you make as the would-be president is you select the one, the one person in the United States that you believe is ready to step in and be president. And I got to tell you, those two decisions by those two men stunk horrible. But the, the consequences for the country are much worse with the Biden decision because he actually won. Yes. Okay. So now we have this situation with this clearly incompetent person. And I agree with Mark. I mean, she was better on the campaign trail than she was on the uh, uh, as vice president. But she was pretty bad on the campaign trail. Yeah, and she she's didn't last awful long. as vice. I mean, look, this is someone who is so unqualified that I would think that the Democrats would be wanting to get her out of the way. And there are ways to do it. I don't know if constitutionally a president can fire the vice president. Mm -hmm. 
or not. Yeah. Are, are there ways, Eric, in which you feel the Republican Party has, has uh, missed the boat? I'm talking Congressional Republican Party has missed the boat on coming in and providing answers to some of these issues that the, c the country is facing. Uh, they don't really have any power to do so at the moment. Well, I mean, they are, uh, it's a 50-50 split with the vice president breaking the tie in the Senate and they're in uh, the minority in the House. So uh, it is unsurprising that they are basically running on uh, no agenda. The agenda being that the Democrats, including the president, are very unpopular and you should elect us instead. It is probably going to be enough to get a lot of them elected. The House is almost certainly going to flip. The Senate is uh, a bit more of a guess. There was a very interesting piece in the Daily Beast uh, just today or a day ago about how J.D. Vance has basically vanished from Ohio. He, he appeared at a rally in Israel, uh, not in Ohio. So uh, whether or not the Republicans are going to stumble their way into some losses, uh, which, again, I think the, the odds that the Republicans are going to snatch some defeats from the jaws of victory is just in keeping with tradition in the Republican Party, uh, I think will probably happen. But they're not in a position to offer much in terms of trying to solve problems right now because they don't have any power. Yeah. Well, we're going to come back and talk about that in depth uh, in hour number two uh, uh, of our program this evening. Uh, Another issue, obviously, that is on the minds of some people, maybe not as many as the media would like, and that is uh, the whole issue of the, the January 6th hearings and uh, what came out of that. In your view, by the way, we have two guests this evening. Uh, one has watched it, the, the news coverage. Mark, you've watched the news coverage. You've watched basically some of the news coverage as well. Um, there is, and I said this to our guests, there isn't anybody that's been on this program for the last couple of months who has watched a lot of the hearings. I think I have watched a lot of the hearings. Um, I'm, I'm interested in the way it's been played as a television show and also politically, but I'm not getting a sense, and this is why, I mean, even to those within the sound of my voice, if this has been important to you, call me. Because no one has called me. I, I'm like beyond the beltway. I'd like to know whether anyone within the sound of my voice is concerned or moved in any way, either positively or negatively, by the January 6th hearings. Was anybody moved by, by, by Liz Cheney's uh, dramatic speech at the end of uh, the hearing last Thursday night? Mark? Yeah, I think the average American person is, is in a fundamentally different place. They've moved on. You know, we, we saw January 6th happen. We weren't happy with it. We had a general sense. I knew who Donald Trump was. I, I knew how he would act in that situation. So, I mean, I appreciate that this is making a historical record. It's uh, bringing out information we didn't have access to. I like that, but I just, I, I like you're asking the callers. Are people passionate about this? Are they spending two hours during prime time watching those hearings? I just, I don't, I don't see it. No, but no one, no one within my sphere of influence, um, has ever brought this subject up to me. Yeah. Nobody, nobody. S same thing with me, and I can tell you that you, you asked the question: Did it change? Did it change my mind? No, because the basic outline of the president's, former President Trump's actions and inactions were all plain to see when he was impeached and, and you know, ultimately acquitted. So, to me. The hearings, they've missed, they've missed something here. We don't see cross-examination, okay? Right. And that is a problem. 
you know, the Democrats and the media, they like to talk about, well, this is a bipartisan commission. No, having Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger doesn't make it bipartisan. Okay, it would be great for the historical record if we had seen cross-examination. We don't, we don't have that, and there are both sides blame each other for that scenario. But the bottom what line side, is... What side do you blame? Except both sides aren't right. Yeah, what, 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 uh, Eric, uh, go ahead. And then I want to get to it was Kevin part. McCarthy's decision to not put Republicans on that committee. And it was because the Democrats said that there were certain people like Jim Jordan that may be the subject of part of the inquiry that they right. didn't want on the committee. He could have chosen from any of the Republicans in his ranks to put them on there. But he made the decision, strategic as he believed it to be, that it was better to have no Republicans on there. So all these complaints about it not being uh, truly bipartisan or that there isn't cross-examination falls on deaf ears to me because it was the Republicans choice. They don't get to complain about it on the back end when they made the choice at the front. Right. Yeah. Although, I, although, although uh, Eric, I think you would agree, in the court of public opinion, it's a, it's a point to be made that a lot of people will, will agree with. They, they won't go through the intricacies of who got appointed and who got dumped and, and the fact that uh, Cheney and, and uh, um, Kinzinger were, you know, were anti-Trump Republicans. That, that you and I know that everybody listening to the program who's a political animal knows that, but I mean, the, to the general public, uh, the Republicans making the making the case that this is was like a witch hunt, I think that I think that has some 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 currency in the in the political debate. You obviously disagree on that, Eric. I don't know that I entirely disagree. I mean, I think that is the point that Republicans are going to make, and yeah. I think it's a point, point that can be rebutted. Uh, all of the January 6th stuff to me is prologue to an event that hasn't happened yet and may not, and it all becomes far more relevant when and if Donald Trump decides that he is going to run for president again. And there are these rumors swirling that he wants to declare before the midterms, which right. would be to the great headache of every Republican running nationwide if he were to do so. Uh, but if he does so, it, it would be bizarre strategically because he'd do so right on the back of this hearing wrapping up and that would just seem to reinforce uh, a, a lot of the problems that it are just intrinsic to trump as a candidate it would reinforce uh, the fact that he is he's concerned about himself first and he's not concerned uh, about necessarily the republican party that, i mean i mean that's exactly what, right i mean it's a eric nailed it. It, it it it's a key strategic error both for himself and for the Republican Party. Him lying low after these hearings would be the best thing for him. But for goodness sakes, the last thing the Republicans need, that the country needs, quite frankly, are Democrats controlling Congress again after the midterms. And you know what? I also agree with what Eric said about the Senate. We have a history from 2010 when we swept the House mm -hmm. in Obama's first term yep. in the midterms and put up these horrible Senate candidates and didn't make gains in the Senate or meaningful gains in the Senate again in 2012. You had candidates who were denying rape or downplaying rape. You had a witch running in, in Delaware. And here I see Herschel Walker, terrible candidate, uh, can't get his points across well. You have the uh, Pennsylvania, we're Oz. Gonna back, we're going to come back to that. We do have to break. Uh, we'll also deal with it in hour number two. I'm Bruce Dumont, 1-800-723. 8289. Uh, goodbye, bench press. Adios, squat rack. 
Fare thee well, Kettlebell. Hey, Kellen, need a spot? No, Jake from State Farm. I'm just saying goodbye to my pricey gym membership. What? Don't give up what you love. State Farm has options like insuring your home and ride with great rates on both. Nice. Hey, can I buy you a protein shake or a granola bar? Or... For surprisingly great rates, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Call or go to statefarm.com for a quote today. Going back to school as a working adult doesn't mean you have to sacrifice a high-quality education. Purdue University, a top 10 public university, took its innovative thinking to a new level when it created Purdue University Global for working adults. Discover innovative, practical ways to earn your degree online and advance your career. Purdue Global has already awarded more than 1 million credits for prior learning, which means you can save nearly half the cost of your bachelor's. See how close you are to finishing your degree at purdueglobal.edu. That's purdueglobal.edu. One in three adults has pre-diabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has pre-diabetes, with early diagnosis, pre-diabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has pre-diabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. <gasps> Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or ugh, my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. 145 over 92. 180 over 111. 182 over 100. And I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest. And then a stroke. Your blood pressure numbers could change your life. A lot of people don't understand, including myself, I didn't, now I do, uh, the impact of having a stroke. My memory is shot. When I woke up, I couldn't speak. Lowering your high blood pressure could save you from a heart attack or stroke. If you've stopped your treatment plan, restart it, or talk to your doctor about creating one that works better for you. Start taking the right steps at manageyourbp.org. It's a new life, but I'm going to make it better. I'm coming back. Ask your doctor. Check your blood pressure. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. Bruce Dumont uh, back in Chicago. And, uh, yes, you know, through the magic of, of graphics, uh, our director, Fritz Goldman, can he can correct the, uh, the slant in the sign behind me. You can't, or I, or I have to do the show this way. Anyway, we, we've had problems with our sign. But anyway, thanks thanks very much for for those listening on radio. Just imagine that a sign behind me is is uh, not uh, is not even. It's becoming more even uh, every day. It's better than a couple of weeks ago when the whole thing <laughs> fell off. The show. I I didn't know we were on there. I'm sorry. No, that's all right. Uh, let's take a moment. And let everybody introduce themselves. We're going to begin with uh, Eric Cohen, who joins us from Grand Rapids, Michigan. Eric, nice to have you back with us. 
Thanks for having me back. Uh, I'm the Director of Communication, Marketing and Communications at the Acton Institute for the Study of Religion and Liberty here in Grand Rapids, Michigan. I actually just uh, got back from Washington, D.C. today, where I was at a summit of uh, Hong Kong dissidents, largely because uh, Acton's big project right now is a documentary film on the life of entrepreneur and newspaper man Jimmy Lai, who's currently jailed uh, in Hong Kong. Uh, that's the Hong Konger uh, Jimmy Lai's extraordinary struggle for freedom. You can learn more about it at thehongkongermovie.com. And it won an award, won a recent award, did it not? It did, yes. The Anthem uh, Libertarian mm -hmm. Film Festival, we won Best Documentary Feature. Very good. Mark Casello, tell us who you are when you're not here. <clears throat> when I'm not here, I am the chair of the Department of Humanities at Calumet College of St. Joseph and the director of the English and Media Communications Program. That's a new uh, new title, right? That's right, yeah. Uh, I took over. What the, does that mean, chair. media, and uh, what does that mean? So, um, you're indoctrinating it, young liberals? You know, we, <laughs> we've actually, it's a pretty innovative program. Uh, it's not your traditional English literature program. We've rebuilt it uh, from the ground up around storytelling. Storytelling to entertain, storytelling to persuade in business, and storytelling to inform as in uh, journalism. And so the core is uh, narrative construction. Um, and whether you take that in to entertain people or persuade them politically or in business, it's this universal form of communication. So that's what we're doing. Let me ask this question. If, if, you, were to, if you were to wave a magic wand and try to address the issue that many conservatives have in this country, that the media is overwhelmingly liberal or left-wing, and you were to make one grammatical dictation, dictate, what would it be? I'm, I'm going to make a suggestion, and I want you to tell me. Journalists could never use adverbs again. What do you think of that? Well, you know, I, I that sounds no, good I, to I, me, I, right? I, 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 you know, I, I will read a story, and, uh, it will be a basic fact that's being communicated to me, and there'll be an mm -hmm. adverb that will be thrown in there that will, you know, yeah. slant the whole thing. I, I, I agree. There's too much editorializing. I saw a, uh, in too many articles, I've seen uh, editorializing in the, on the, news, in the news section, not the opinion page. Okay. Yeah. Well. Okay. We have a caller on the line. By the way, I understand that the sign is now like this. <laughs> so I'm going to just turn around for a second. For those listening on radio, this will mean nothing. But I'm slowly turning around, and I'm taking this graphic, which is hanging behind me, and I'm going to throw it on the ground, <laughs> or at least take it off the wall. Oh, there we go. I suppose <clears throat> I could hold it up in front of me, but that would be <laughs> By the way, for those that wonder whether this is a high-budget show or not, <laughs> it's not. <laughs> Let's go to Kevin, who's listening to us on one of America's great radio stations, KLBJ, in Austin, Texas. Nice to hear from Texas tonight. Kevin, go ahead. Oh, thank you, Bruce. And just on, on a note, my mother knew uh, Kathy Osterman. Oh. She was a wonderful person. She was. That and for uh, those around the country, she was my uh, late wife, uh, Alderman, for many years, and uh, uh, director of special events. Her birthday was just this past week, and she uh, died uh, back in 1992. Yeah, she was great. My Thank mother you. got a job with the uh, state's attorney, and then uh, and, uh, later on I was with the city of Chicago. Anyhow, that well, being said, she probably got woman. a lot of jobs for people in the city of Chicago. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Not your mother, <laughs> <She's> <laughs> Go ahead. She was a wonderful lady. Thank uh, you. So what I wanted to say, I was curious on the sign, does it slant right or slant left? Uh, it was <laughs> slanting <laughs> left tonight. Right. <laughs> uh, well, I was going to point uh, about I'll the January 5th commission. You guys, 
I'm sorry? Yeah, go ahead. Oh, yeah, so on the January 6th commission, it's it's the uh, Democrats' Benghazi, uh, except mm. that they really don't believe in what they're talking about, whereas the Republicans did. It's not changing to anybody's uh, a view on it, uh, ex- except that the, the Benghazi committee had an opposing counsel. There was due process. You can talk about those things. And the more that self-righteous uh, liberals talk about how, oh, it was done this way, it does that way, people don't care. People care about how much more they're paying in gas, how much more they're paying for eggs and groceries, um, you know, what's being taught in schools, especially parents who have been at home, and they saw Kevin, how the, the Kevin, education has changed from when they're kids. Let, kids. Me, let me ask you this question, as, you, as, yeah. as opposed to you're saying parents care about what is taught in school. Uh, I think they're more aware of it. Okay, they're more aware of it. So my question to you is, uh, is there a responsibility to future generations, not necessarily to anybody that's alive today, but for historical perspective, is it important to know and have detail, more detail, on what happened on January uh, 6th? Should, should oh, we I know that as a, as a society? Be, yeah, as a society, a complete picture needs to be painted. Uh, mm-hmm. Right. And explained and described, but the way it's set up now, where the the minority did not put anybody on uh, the committee, even though you got an R behind two of these people's names, one is mm-hmm. already gone, the other one's going to be gone in a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Uh, nobody's fooled by that, and it's unfortunate. I think it was a great missed opportunity for. Um, I think it, I, I think it's not a Republican Democrat thing. I think it's more of a. Uh, an elitist and you know a populist battle that's going okay. on right but now. How, how, how and, do you, how and do the picture is not being made. Let, let me ask you this: How does this? Sure. Uh, how does your attitude uh, fly in the face of or challenge Liz Cheney, who basically said the the people giving testimony were virtually all Republicans? They were members of Donald sure. Trump's administration. I mean, so. Are they, sure, I'm not saying. Do we dismiss that, that they're disloyal, or uh, what is no, your answer I don't, to that question? I don't. I don't. I think. I do. I think things were handled poorly, absolutely, on both both sides by everybody. But the way the uh, committee was set up, their opinion is going to be now discounted by a lot of, by half the people, mm-hmm. and who already have an opinion one way or the other, and it's going to you know it's. I think that that uh, ruins the credibility, and it's unfortunate mm-hmm. because there were problems on everybody's side on this, okay. from what I understand. Give... Why weren't what you know all sorts of why what were the actions that Pelosi and Congress took, and and why, and what were the actions that Trump and his administration took, and why? The que- we're only getting the, the, fingers pointed on one side. The question of uh, Pelosi and the Capitol Police and. Uh, who did what allegedly, according to what was said on one of the programs this morning, that is an issue that's going to be addressed later in the hearings when they come back in September. Oh, so we'll, people, we'll see whether that happens or not, because I, I agree with you. That's that's part of the total story. I mean, if somebody screwed up here, uh, let's let's know yeah. about it. By the way, let, well, th- thank you for your call. We're going we're, we're, we're to move on. Thank you very much. Thanks for Wonderful. Your thank you very about much, Kathy, as well. Uh, one of the other pieces, uh, one of the other clips, I'm sure that this is one that, that maybe you have seen on TV. Uh, for the first time, uh, the committee played a speech that was taped for presentation by President Trump the day after 
uh, January 6th. Again, because he made a very quick one in the afternoon on January 6th in which he told, he thanked the people for coming, but basically go home, peacefully, you know, go home. Uh, but the next day, there was another speech that was going to further explain to the American people what really happened the previous day. And uh, the, uh, the hearing uh, this past week played the outtakes of that speech to the American people. And again, this may not make much sense to those listening on radio, although you can still hear the, uh, the edits that President Trump made. But let's, let's take a look and listen to uh, this clip. It runs about a minute 30. Let's take a listen uh, to it. This is Donald Trump in a speech. You hear all the outtakes the day after the January 6th situation in Washington. I would like to begin by addressing the heinous attack yesterday. You seen this? And to those who broke the law, you will pay. You do not represent our movement. You do not represent our country. And if you broke the law, you can't say that. I'm not gonna, you, I already said you will pay. The demonstrators who infiltrated the Capitol have defied the seat of dust. It's defiled, right? See, I can't see it very well. Okay, I'll, I'll do this. I'm going to do this. Let's go. But this election is now over. Congress has certified the results. I don't want to say the election's over. I just want to say Congress has certified the results without saying the election's over, okay? But Congress is certified. Now Congress. Yeah, right. Now Congress. I didn't say over, so let let me see. Go go to the paragraph before. Okay. I would like to begin by addressing the heinous attack yesterday. Yesterday is a hard word for me. Just take it out. Ah, good. Take the word yesterday, because it doesn't work with the heinous attack on our country. Say, on our country. Want to say that? No, no, no. My only goal was to ensure the integrity of the vote. My only goal was to ensure the integrity of the vote. That was Donald Trump. Um, I want to get reaction from those in the studio and reaction from those around the country. Uh, a lot of people thought that was a pretty devastating piece of video. It's one I predict we're going to see numerous times, probably in campaign commercials between now and November. I'm Bruce Dumont, 1-800-723-8289. Hi, I'm Dr. Nia Hergaris with today's tip for kids from the American Academy of Pediatrics. As parents, we want our children to grow up healthy and strong. That means helping teens take responsibility for their health as they become young adults. One way to do that is to make sure they have one-on-one -on -one time with their pediatrician. That helps them become comfortable talking about any health issue with their doctors and with you. So make sure to give your teen a voice. It's good for their health. For more on teen health, visit HealthyChildren.org. At Jersey Mike's, you can elevate any sub by getting the juice. Red wine vinegar and an olive oil blend. It's how a Jersey Mike sub gets its exquisite zing and how bites get boosted. The juice adds a certain something extra, an exclamation on top of the freshly sliced meats and toppings, the kind of exclamation you can eat. Order Jersey Mike subs on our mobile app and get delivery right to your home or pick up from your nearest Jersey Mike sub location. 
Jersey Mike's, be a sub above. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. This is the story of a very special woman. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician or an entrepreneur. Her knowledge was limitless and still is. She could also make monsters disappear, especially those that lurked in the shadows under the bed. Once, this woman put back together a teenage girl's broken heart, which had been shattered in a thousand pieces just by giving her a bear hug. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources, at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. From Encino, California to El Paso, Texas, you're listening to Beyond the Beltway. If you'd like to send us a photograph of where uh, you uh, watch or listen to this program, please send it to Bruce Dumont at 19 Bruce Dumont 1944 at gmail.com Bruce Dumont 1944 at gmail and we'll put it on the air as one of our uh, bumper videos uh, Eric let me look to you um, because of the alleged uh, closeness that people are now beginning to say might be taking place certainly in 2024 and maybe to some extent in Senate races in 2022 my question to you is what what opportunity is there for libertarians? And let me say that you're not an organized member of the Libertarian Party as I ask this question. But I'm wondering what you can tell me whether there is an opportunity for libertarians actually to win somewhere. No. Um, as a uh, as a libertarian, I'm quite accustomed to the idea that uh, candidates that uh, largely represent the views that I hold uh, are generally elected, um, particularly not in a two party system. Um, I did have one time uh, a little more faith in, say, Rand Paul than I do right now. I've been incredibly disappointed with him over the last couple of years. There have been more libertarianish candidates within the Republican Party. Uh, I think there are um, uh, the uh, governor uh, Polis in Colorado, I think, has some interesting libertarian leaders. 
leanings. Uh, so there's a chance, I think, for the enactment of certain policies that libertarians would like. There's legislation moving in Congress that would nationally legalize marijuana, be a very popular piece of legislation amongst libertarians. I think there are still some possibilities for criminal justice reform. I think people's patience with ideas like qualified immunity are getting stretched every single time we see an abuse by the police that then we find out the officer can't be prosecuted for um, the violation of constitutional rights that they commit. There's the opportunities on those lines, but electorally, incredibly limited. Do you think they have any significant role to play in, in close races, uh, Josh? I think in close races, th there could be a role to play. I mean, I don't know what the lineup is with these Senate races, but that mm -hmm. could make a difference. And I'd be interested, perhaps the uh, guests in the second hour mm -hmm. can inform us on that. Yeah. I want to get your reaction, uh, Mark, to uh, the video that we played before the break, and I also want to get uh, Eric and Josh's response as well. So uh, uh, the video, President Trump's clearly, you know, he's not, he doesn't want to concede. He's, he's, he's not going to say the word that the election's over. Because um, I, think, I think he sincerely believed uh, that there was some fraud. I mean, he, he bought into that theory. Mm -hmm. But I, I just wanted to add that I never thought I would ever feel, you know, great sympathy for Mike Pence. I was never a big fan of him politically. But, but President Trump putting him in the crosshairs, um, endangering his life, uh, was really just distasteful for me. Uh, and I, for a lot of Americans, I assume, and you know, even though politically I'm far afield from Mike Pence, I just the oath of office. You know, if if you're a conservative out there, you've got to you've got to honor the oath of office. That's where it starts. You know, and but do you, but do you do you also honor the character of the man? The uh, the, the the Wall Street Journal in their editorial, the editorial from the Wall Street Journal, and also one from the Washington Post, both owned by Rupert Murdoch are uh, really basically uh, in, in analysis of the last hearings Thursday night was that uh, Donald Trump really, he did not stand up as president uh, on that time. And he said uh, there were two people who you could measure their character. Um, Mike, Mike Pence passed his test. Donald Trump did not. And so my question to you as a, as a progressive and as a liberal, could you go beyond your dislike of Mike Pence? Could you go beyond that and does he get your vote or could he ever get a vote from a liberal because of a profile and courage that certainly has come out of these hearings, in my opinion? Well, he upheld his constitutional duty and I, I, I well, respect that. You um, respect it, but you, you would I respect never give that. him a vote. Well, you know, he was my governor when I was in Indiana, right. um, and uh, so, and he did, you know, some good things. Um, <laughs> that doesn't <laughs> well, sound but, like a rigging uh, but <laughs> Yeah, I, I won't be running out to, to vote for a, a Pence president. Could you, su could you support, Josh, could you support uh, Liz Cheney in a Republican primary against Donald Trump, or as an independent candidate for president? I mean, I'm not a huge fan of Liz Cheney either. <laughs> I, I, look, I, I think... How come? Well, okay. Here's my take on January 6th. We knew the outline of January 6th the day it happened. We knew, we knew that Donald Trump didn't stand up, didn't protect his vice president, was inactive, was potentially, you know, was, was responsible for this mob. 
or at least had some responsibility for it. We knew all that when he was impeached and when he but was But my credited. question to you is, as a Republican, does a Republican Liz Cheney or, or Adam Kinzinger, maybe a little tougher for you, do they get credit? Do they get any uh, award for a profile in courage no. when the decision they made probably will end their political career as we know it? Do they, they get any credit for that? They, they, they chose to do that. They chose to do it. Right. And, and Liz Cheney has said there's a lot of, you know, white Republicans in their 50s and 60s, men, who didn't have the courage to do that. I can't believe, I cannot believe they are the only two people in the United States House or Senate that feel as they do. Oh. They are the only two that has, has have stood up and said what they said and have done what they did. And by the way, uh, Kinzinger, you know, on, on Meet the Press today, he just excoriated uh, uh, McCarthy. I mean, he he went after him, uh, you know, as, as it was as devastating an attack on another politician that I think I've ever heard. Kinzinger is auditioning for his job at MSNBC, well, and he's going to be like these former that. McCain people, Steve Schmidt and others, John Weaver, who was with Romney, who go on okay. and, and they, they they're, he's going to make a lot of money. Okay. So I've already said I'm not a fan. Eric, Eric, quick, just, just, a, just a simple point here. Eric, it's understandable to me that Mark is a Democrat, uh, could never vote for Mike Pence. It is a little bit more disappointing to me that Josh is a Republican who has been critical here of Trump, who seems to think that he is unfit for the office of the presidency because Adam Kinzinger and Liz Cheney have been critical of Trump and have taken this role. He says he can't uh, vote for them against Trump. That is a little bit more surprising and disappointing to me. Okay, on that note, Eric, Josh, and Mark Casello, thank you all. Eric, we say farewell to you for hour number one. Uh, in the second hour, we're going to be joined by Josh uh, Krauschauer, and he is with Axios, and we'll be talking about the race for the United States Senate and control of same. Wake up and text. Text and eat. Mm -mm. Text and catch the bus. Text and miss your stop. Wait, 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 wait. Text and be late to work. Sorry, I'm late. Text and work. Text and pretend to work. Text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working. <clears throat> Who, me? Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. <sighs> Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Ugh. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger. Put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Going back to school as a working adult doesn't mean you have to sacrifice a high-quality education. Purdue University, a top-10 public university, took its innovative thinking to a new level when it created Purdue University Global for working adults. Discover innovative, practical ways to earn your degree online and advance your career. Purdue Global has already awarded more than 1 million credits for prior learning, which means you can save nearly half the cost of your bachelor's. See how close you are to finishing your degree at purdueglobal.edu. That's purdueglobal.edu. <sighs> Goodbye, bench press. Adios, squat rack. Fare thee well, kettlebell. Hey, Kellen, need a spot? No, Jake from State Farm. I'm just saying goodbye to my pricey gym membership. What? Don't give up what you love. State Farm has options like insuring your home and ride with great rates on both. Nice. Hey, can I buy you a protein shake or a granola bar? Or... For surprisingly great rates, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Call or go to statefarm.com for a quote today. 
At Jersey Mike's, you can elevate any sub by getting the juice. Red wine vinegar and an olive oil blend. It's how a Jersey Mike sub gets its exquisite zing and how bites get boosted. The juice adds a certain something extra, an exclamation on top of the freshly sliced meats and toppings, the kind of exclamation you can eat. Order Jersey Mike subs on our mobile app and get delivery right to your home or pick up from your nearest Jersey Mike sub location. Jersey Mike's, be a sub above. Why does Comcast Business power more businesses than any other provider? It has technology solutions that put you ahead, like the fastest reliable network and serious savings. Whether your small business is starting or growing, you need Comcast Business. Comcast Business, powering possibilities. Ask about Comcast Business Internet and Security Edge, or find out how to get a $500 prepaid card with a qualifying gig bundle. Call or go online today to learn more. Prepaid card offer ends 82822. Restrictions apply. Call for details. What if the music stopped? If the familiar voices were silenced? If there were no breaking news updates? What if your companion and connection to your community came with a monthly fee? Don't worry. We're free local radio with you wherever you go. Celebrating 100 years and looking forward to the next 100. We are broadcasters. Text radio to 52886 and let Congress know you depend on your local TV and radio stations. This message furnished by the National Association of Broadcasters. First July, we continue with our number two of Beyond the Beltway from coast to coast and border to border, taking America's political pulse every Sunday night. Nice to have you with us this evening. And uh, uh, Mark Casello and Josh Cantrell continue to join me in studio here in Chicago, but we are welcomed uh, from his home in Virginia uh, by one of the country's leading political reporters, Josh Krasauer. He is uh, with uh, Axios, and he's covered Washington like a blanket for a long, long time. Josh, uh, welcome to your first visit on Beyond the Beltway. Nice to have you with us this evening. Hey, Bruce, guys, they're great, great to be on the show. Some of the things we're gonna be talking about in this hour are the, the race and for control of the United States Senate. You know, early in the cycle, everyone thought that the, probably the Senate was gonna go Republican and the House was likely to go Republican. And then I would say somewhere over the last six to eight months, uh, it's become somewhat problematical as to whether or not the Republicans are gonna be able to uh, you know, regain control of the US Senate. But again, the races we're gonna focus on this evening and we're gonna quickly go through the map. Uh, Georgia, Nevada, New Hampshire, North Carolina, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Arizona, and Missouri. There may be other races that we will delve on, but again, we're gonna start uh, with some of those. And uh, Josh, I wanna begin, uh, before we jump into the, the senatorial races, uh, the, one of the big stories of last week was that uh, Larry Hogan, who was a very popular liberal or moderate Republican governor of Maryland, uh, his uh, anointed candidate to succeed him lost badly in a primary uh, to Dan Cox, who is a very uh, conservative, uh, an election denier. And uh, my question to you is, uh, in this race, it appears that the Democratic gubernatorial uh, committee also engaged, as they have in other states, by pouring lots of money in by electing, helping elect Cox because they think he's a weak candidate. So my question to you is, uh, is this upset, and I think it was an upset in, in, in Maryland, uh, was it a big upset to you and those uh, within the Beltway? So there, there's an important bit of context in the Maryland results, which is that President Trump among Republicans in Maryland, Republicans, is quite a bit more popular than Governor Larry Hogan. And I'd go even further than that. 
Governor Hogan, who's a very popular national figure, may run for president in 2024. Right. He's more popular in Maryland with Democrats than he is with Republicans. So that explains that this Republican electorate in Maryland, even though Maryland's a blue state, is extremely conservative, extremely pro-Trump. And the, like you mentioned, the Democratic Governors Association basically poured fuel on, on, onto the fire. They, mm -hmm. Cox had Trump's endorsement. He was not raising much money. He's not a well-known figure. He, he, there was no way of people knowing who he was. And the Democratic Governors Association spent about a million and about $1.2 million in Maryland to get ads up, identifying mm -hmm. him as the pro-Trump Republican. So they basically ensured that the Republicans would nominate the, 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 the Trumpier candidate. Uh, and, and look, it's, you see this a lot in these blue states. Uh, Illinois is a great example as well, mm -hmm. where there's not a long history of electing and nominating Republicans. And there's not a lot of institutional uh, support from within the party. And, and it actually is easy for unelectable or less, less electable candidates to get through the, the, these nominations. Mm -hmm. uh, Maryland was, you know, Kelly Schultz, who was Governor Hogan's candidate, a moderate, someone who had a good, good record in government. If she was a nominee, there's a decent chance Maryland would have been in play mm -hmm. for Republicans in November. Mm -hmm. But now there's next to no chance that will happen. But you know, in Illinois, we saw a similar dynamic where the Democratic Governors Association put right. $35 million right. into the primary on behalf of a more conservative, more pro-Trump candidate. Right. And that was game over um, right. because of that. So right. in states that actually have smaller Republican bases, it's actually easier to kind of trick the get to get these very very extreme mm -hmm. candidates to win nominations. Let's let's look at uh, at the lay of the land. There there's a total of uh, uh, 34 races up this year. There's actually going to be a, a special election, so there's actually a total of 35 that people are going to be watching uh, on election night. Uh, most of the candidates have been selected. There are some states that have yet to have their primary to pick uh, either the Republican or Democrat. But let's let's talk about the one that's getting the most national exposure, and that is in Georgia. Georgia, uh, where once upon a time uh, it was political uh, gospel to believe that, that all the senators were Democrats, and then we went through a 20-year period where they were all Republicans, and now they have two Democrats again uh, because uh, Donald Trump did not aggressively, uh, uh, I think, help turn out uh, you know, the, the primary when there was an election there, and Georgia ended up with uh, two, uh, two Democrats. So we've got Warnock, the incumbent, uh, a, a, a religious leader, and also we have Herschel Walker, one of the greats of uh, uh, college football. So uh, that that started as a as, as a hot hot race. Is it still a hot hot race, or have the problems of Herschel Walker become tantamount to uh, putting him on defense all the time? He's been on defense quite a bit in this campaign. You know, look, the environment overall, including in Georgia, is very favorable for the Republican Party. If there was a generic Republican, someone who was a state legislator or someone who, who just didn't have a whole lot of political baggage, they would be the favorite against Senator Warnock in this political environment. But because Georgia is a little more competitive politically, obviously Democrats won both Senate seats in 2021. And, and because Walker just has been a, a wreck on the campaign trail. At first, he wasn't doing many public appearances, even with favorable media outlets. And more recently, he's just made some sort of confusing stem winders of, of, of policy statements that have even turned off a lot of conservatives wondering where he stands on some very important issues. Has, has, any, uh, has anyone spoken to you, uh, Josh, about 
you know, it used to be in politics, so when someone was entering politics, they would sit down with the campaign manager, and the campaign manager would ask, would say, is there anything in your background that's going to blow up and really hurt us? And a candidate who's, who's honest is going to tell that early on. But in this particular case, the numerous stories about fathering children out of wedlock um, is not playing well in Georgia, and it seems to me that Trump's brain trust should have figured that out, or did, were they surprised when they read it in the newspapers as well? Well, let's take one step back. If um, the Republican establishment, if Mitch McConnell, if a lot of senators in Washington had their way, Herschel Walker would not be running right. for the Senate. This was Donald Trump's recruit. He, he pressured right. Walker to run for the Senate. I'm not sure if he, that was in the political cards, but he definitely, as a longtime friend and ally, wanted Walker to run. Walker, as a celebrity, cleared the field. Field that was hard for a lot of other contenders to challenge Walker, and a lot of the problems are now coming out to after the primary, after he wins this nomination. Um, the, 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 there was a lot of talk in Republican circles, and you still hear this talk. It's getting louder that Walker just isn't ready for prime time. He's fumbling the ball on the campaign trail, so to speak. Uh, they, they've hired some of the best political professionals. Uh, Brett O'Donnell, one of the top debate strategists in Republican circles, some of the best operatives that I, I, I deal with on a fairly mm -hmm. regular basis. Uh, but ultimately, this is about the candidate. It, can the candidate just get, say, talking points, be clear where he stands on, on policy issues and not sound like he, he's in over his head? Yeah. Uh, because I've never seen a candidate stumble as much as Herschel Walker yeah. in, the, in the opening weeks of, of a general election campaign. And he, you know, you look at the, the most recent polling in that race, uh, Governor Kemp has a huge advantage against Stacey Abrams in the governor's race. While, you know, usually Senate races are much, they, they go much closer to the national tide, which is very much in the Republicans' favor. Yet Herschel Walker is underperforming right now the Republican generic numbers, the, the Republican Josh, expectations Josh, we have, in, a, in a state like Georgia. We've got to pause right now. I'm Bruce Dumont, back shortly from Chicago. Goodbye, bench press. Adios, squat rack. Fare thee well, kettlebell. Hey, Kellen, need a spot? No, Jake from State Farm. I'm just saying goodbye to my pricey gym membership. What? Don't give up what you love. State Farm has options like insuring your home and ride with great rates on both. Nice. Hey, can I buy you a protein shake or a granola bar? Or... For surprisingly great rates, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Call or go to statefarm.com for a quote today. Going back to school as a working adult doesn't mean you have to sacrifice a high-quality education. Purdue University, a top 10 public university, took its innovative thinking to a new level when it created Purdue University Global for working adults. Discover innovative, practical ways to earn your degree online and advance your career. Purdue Global has already awarded more than 1 million credits for prior learning, which means you can save nearly half the cost of your bachelor's. See how close you are to finishing your degree at purdueglobal.edu. That's purdueglobal.edu. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? 
Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. One in three adults has prediabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has prediabetes, with early diagnosis, prediabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has pre-diabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. <gasps> Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or ugh, my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. Bruce Dumont back. I gave you uh, sort of the top uh, nine or ten uh, states where uh, we're going to focus on this evening. But I want to go back to you, Josh, with all of your uh, just focusing on your on your Democrat uh, uh, advisors, not advisors, but uh, your, your sources, if, if you were to ask them, give me the three or four races that are most important to us, what would their answer be? It's a great question. I mean, and Pennsylvania would be at the very top of that list. Okay. Uh, it's a seat that they think that they can pick up. It's potentially the only seat that they may be able to win from the Republicans, given how favorable the environment is for, mm -hmm. for the Republican Party. Uh, and you have a candidate in John Fetterman, who certainly unconventional uh this lieutenant governor of pennsylvania had a stroke right before the the primary campaign and has been off the campaign trail for for much of the last month or two uh but but also has potential ability to make some inroads with with working class voters and, and folks in the outside the big cities that democrats have badly struggled with and by the way for the um, for those that don't know him and he is a big burly rough and tough he's a progressive but he doesn't necessarily talk like a progressive but He's a he 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 reminds me a little bit of Jesse Ventura insofar as his 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 bravado and his uh, his his style. He looks like he could be the bouncer yeah. at, 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 at a bar. At a yeah, yeah. Bar. Um, yeah <laughs> he, he looks the part, tattooed and 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 you know jacked up. Yeah, um, yeah and he's running against a celebrity in in, in, in Doctor Oz, who many uh, of your listeners will know from his television show and his frequent guest appearances on Oprah uh -huh. over the years, but he's you know had a little bit of a tough time adjusting to the world of politics. It was a very ugly primary between him and you know, one, one Republican in particular who spent $20, $30 million mm -hmm. in ads against him. So he, he starts out with a, a little bit of uh, a negative, you know, a lot of negative feelings and a lot of uh, bad, bad branding uh, as he was did the they kiss and make up? of a did whole they, lot of negative ads. Did they kiss and make up even um, in closed doors? Be, be, well, they endorsed, you know, the yeah. David McCormick is who I'm talking about yeah, right, against from the primary. He he endorsed Oz for the general election, but boy, there there were a lot of conservatives too in Pennsylvania that just didn't trust that Dr. Oz, even with Trump's endorsement, which uh, they didn't Trump like. The Trump didn't trust that he was didn't, didn't a legit like that MAGA there. representative. Yeah. 
All right, let's talk about an, another one where, where, where Trump's, uh, uh, you know, imprimatur is on the candidacy, and that's J.D. Vance in Next Door, Ohio. Now, again, that is a Republican seat at the moment, uh, but that's one that the Republicans possibly could lose because uh, the, the incumbent there, there is no incumbent, but uh, Tim Ryan, the Democrat, is a very popular member of Congress, and he's running against J.D. Vance, who's uh, a newcomer to the field, even though he's somewhat of a celebrity himself. Yeah, if Republicans lose in Ohio, it's a state that Trump won by eight points. Uh, it's becoming a Republican-friendly state. But if, 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 if Vance can't win in Ohio, it's because of his campaign. Uh, he has had trouble raising money for his campaign. He has spent very little time on the campaign trail since winning winning the nomination. In fact, he's been in Israel instead of uh, been in Ohio talking to voters in his, uh, you know, the state he's running in. Uh, there, well, there he are wants, to raise, he wants to raise money, too. Right. I some, mean, look, some people would say that's the first, just... that the first primary is a visit to Israel. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's a little bizarre that. that he has spent such, you talked to Bill Cunningham, one of the, the top Talk conservative shows, radio yeah. hosts in Cincinnati. He has not heard from J.D. Vance. They're county Republican officials wondering where he is, what his mm -hmm. campaign is doing. So it's almost, and Tim Ryan, his, his opponent, he's a congressman from Northeast Ohio, he is running $6 million worth in ads so far, portraying himself as frankly like a, a, a conservative or at least a moderate mm -hmm. right. Democrat who uh, he's portraying Vance as an elitist from California or from, from, from the coastal cities who isn't in touch with the working uh, class voters in the state. And look, I, I think Vance has a lot of material to work with against Vance, or against Ryan, excuse me, but he's not spending any money on the air. He's not right. doing anything on the campaign. But Ryan, trail, so. Ryan also ran, he ran for president uh, last time around, and also uh, to some people he gets a profile in courage because he stood up years ago and said that Nancy Pelosi should not be reelected as Speaker of the House. So he's demonstrated, uh, demonstrated some independence, and he has also been a guest on this program because uh, uh, we're, we're big in Mahoning County and Columbiana County, uh, Ohio, with this program. And again, uh, uh, he, he represented that area for a long time. Uh, we have another Josh. Josh mm -hmm. Cantro is our Republican in studio. Josh, he's got a question for you. Go ahead, Josh. Josh, um, this... This sort of seems like a replay of 2010 and 2012 to me. You may recall in 2010, the Republicans swept the House. It was Obama's first midterm and really underperformed in the Senate by running some weak candidates. And 2012, the same thing happened. Uh, the Republicans kept the House, but again, couldn't make up ground in the Senate. Do you sense... Um, in talking to your Republican contacts, that they have the same or similar concern that I do, that this is just deja vu all over again. Yes, uh, and, and I can tell you Mitch McConnell and his closest uh, allies feel the exact same way. They're having a sense of 2010 deja vu, except they think these candidates, not all of them, but many of the nominees running in these very important swing states are even worse than some of the folks in 2010 and 2012. Look, look, look at Missouri, for example. Todd Akin was, was the Republican who made uh, ill-advised comments about abortion, cost him the election and, and against Claire McCaskill, and he served in Congress, and that was the end of his career. Eric Greitens, a former Republican governor disgraced from office, credibly accused of domestic abuse, is a possible nominee in, in Missouri. He's still 
polling up, up at the top of that, that that food chain in the Republican primary. Yeah, that's coming up on he, April 2nd. Eric Greitens makes Todd Akin look like an all-star. Hmm. Um, and, you know, maybe we're more polarized than we were 10 years ago. Maybe you know, just having an R next to your name in a red state like Ohio can be enough. But boy, some of these candidates are really testing out are the limits of, of qual- 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 Josh, what it takes from, to run. From your perspective uh, in, in Washington, um, has there been any polling testing done of the Republican electorate in Missouri? Because most people would agree with the assessment that you've just said is that, uh, you know, Crichton's looks like, you know, like, like he's dead meat. And yet, he at least he's winning, he's leading in the polls at the moment. But um, the, the, the Republican primary voters in Missouri, uh, their vote is going to be uh, deeply analyzed because it's going to send a real signal about what the future of the Republican Party is going to be like and what sort of a Republican they want to represent a, a moderate Republican state that has been moderately Republican, uh, at least in the U.S. Senate, for decades now. Well, here's what's going on in Missouri, belatedly. Uh, there's a super PAC that uh, some, some donors in Missouri have, have organized, and they're spending money in the last week or two uh, reminding voters about Eric Brighton's record and, and, and all the problems he has. And it probably will be enough to, to make the difference and, and may help one of the other two leading candidates in that race. But the, the biggest difference, well, Mitch McConnell learned from 2010 and 2012 that Republicans had to get involved in these primaries. They couldn't just sit on the sidelines, sit on their hands. They had to actually promote good candidates. The new NRSC chairman, Rick Scott, who many of you know from Florida, mm-hmm. does not believe, even in the case of Missouri, does not believe in taking sides in, in primaries, doesn't even believe in getting other outside groups engaged, does not think that's helpful. So he is, I mean, this is the same thing with a lot of the Republican Governors Association. We talked about Maryland. Um, the RGA could have responded in Maryland by spending millions of dollars mm-hmm. to promote um, Kelly Kelly Schultz, to promote the more electable candidate. But they have a policy that they don't get involved in these open primaries. And even as the other party is, is, is you know, playing play, play funny business in their yeah. primary, they're, they're basically sitting on their hands saying we can't do anything about it, even, even though they could if they wanted to you really care if they really cared about winning some of these seats. I guess so. Yeah, like it, it, there's a lead, lack of leadership too within the party. There, a lot of Republicans afraid of getting on Donald Trump's bad side, afraid of if they have national ambitions, afraid of alienating certain folks. But um, it's really costly. You're, you're seeing a couple, at least a couple Senate seats and a bunch of governor's races that are taken off the mm-hmm. table because of the the, the primaries being uh, foisted to the extremes. Yep. Also, we should mention, or I mentioned to you a couple of minutes ago to. Give, give me what the Democrats were whispering in your ear about uh, the states that are high on their list. Uh, what would the Republicans be saying to you? Where, 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 where do they want to put uh, their money and their efforts? Well, they have a big map of opportunities. And, and again, if, if there were uh, at least decent candidates in all these races, they'd be talking about a four or five plus Senate seat pickup. Mm-hmm. I think the more likely number is one or two seats, uh, if you ask most Republicans in Washington right now. Uh, Nevada, Nevada, I would say, is their best pickup opportunity. Uh, it's a state that Joe Biden won twice, but it has two constituencies that have swung dramatically or swung, swung significantly to the Republican Party in recent years, uh, working class voters and Hispanic voters. Uh, and the, the economy in Nevada has taken a, taken a big, big dive uh, lately. And uh, th- there's a governor's race, there's a Senate race, and then there's three House races that Democrats hold. 
Republicans could do a clean sweep in Nevada based on the mm-hmm. polling I've seen and based on the reporting I've heard from top folks. And again, on, the, on the, 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 the incumbent is uh, uh, Kathleen uh, Cortez Mastro, and the Republican challenger is probably one of the legendary names in the state, Adam Laxalt, uh, whose uh, uh, father and I guess grandfather were involved in Republican politics. And he's the uh, now, now he he's supported by Trump, but is he probably one of the more moderate Republicans that's being endorsed by Trump? I would not call him moderate. Okay, he, he was very closely aligned with Trump during the 2020 presidential okay. campaign. He said some things about the uh, Nevada election about that voter uh, fraud, what he claimed was voter fraud. That was very very what I would call uh, not factually based and 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 sort of Trumpy in nature, but. You know, he's also disciplined enough, politically smart enough to run a sort of competent campaign. Mm-hmm. And given the mood in Nevada, given the, the larger electoral environment, you know, I, I don't think he's going to underperform like some of these other Republican candidates. Talk yeah, about. I want to talk more about uh, the appeal, allegedly, of Hispanic voters to Republicans. I want to find out how real that is, because it can be deciding in many of these races that we're talking about. We're talking about maybe the top 10, 12 races that will determine the future of the United States Senate and control of that body. I'm Bruce Dumont. Thanks for joining us tonight on Beyond the Beltway. At Jersey Mike's, you can elevate any sub by getting the juice. Red wine vinegar and an olive oil blend. It's how a Jersey Mike sub gets its exquisite zing and how bites get boosted. The juice adds a certain something extra, an exclamation on top of the freshly sliced meats and toppings, the kind of exclamation you can eat. Order Jersey Mike subs on our mobile app and get delivery right to your home or pick up from your nearest Jersey Mike sub location. Jersey Mike's, be a sub above. Why does Comcast Business power more businesses than any other provider? It has technology solutions that put you ahead, like the fastest reliable network and serious savings. Whether your small business is starting or growing, you need Comcast Business. Comcast Business, powering possibilities. Ask about Comcast Business Internet and Security Edge, or find out how to get a $500 prepaid card with a qualifying gig bundle. Call or go online today to learn more. Prepaid card offer ends 828-22. Restrictions apply. Call for details. 145 over 92. 180 over 111. 182 over 100. And I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest and then a stroke. Your blood pressure numbers could change your life. A lot of people don't understand, including myself, I didn't, now I do, uh, the impact of having a stroke. My memory is shot. When I woke up, I couldn't speak. Lowering your high blood pressure could save you from a heart attack or stroke. If you've stopped your treatment plan, restart it, or talk to your doctor about creating one that works better for you. Start taking the right steps at manageyourbp.org. It's a new life, but I'm going to make it better. I'm coming back. Ask your doctor. Check your blood pressure. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. 
We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. Back. Thanks very much for joining us. Uh, Josh uh, Crunchauer owns, uh, joins us. Uh, Crouchire uh, joins us, and he is uh, uh, joining us from uh, Northern Virginia, and he is a senior political reporter for Axios. He's one of the best in the business, and uh, again, uh, if you are a subscriber to Axios, you know that uh, he puts a lot of effort into that uh, that fine product. And again, Mark Casella joins us in studio. So does Josh Cantro. And uh, Mark Casella, you have been. Uh, taking notes, copious notes as Josh <laughs> no. spoke, so you, you've got a couple of questions for Josh as well. Sure, well, uh, the first question I wanted to ask Josh is, um, as you're looking across these races nationally, what, what sense, uh, what are some of the issues or narratives you see sort of percolating up through these races that, that might feed into the, the general in 24? Um, what narratives seem to be gaining traction with the voters in these states? It, that's a great question. Um, I mean, the dominant issue clearly is in the economy and worries about inflation. And polls show that uh, dominant among folks of all backgrounds, all parties, all all all, all ideologies, um, and, and just you know, worrying about worries about paying for you know a full tank of gas or getting groceries. That is what, what's really causing Democrats some some pretty strong headwinds. That the party in power, uh, the Democratic Party, has. Uh, you know, presided over a, a, a bad economy. Uh, there's a lot of worry about their ability to handle this bout of inflation and whether we're going to even have a recession in the next year or two. So that, that, that's the dominant issue. Okay. I think the, the one other major issue that doesn't get reported enough is that on cultural issues, um, the Democratic Party has moved so far to the left that they've alienated even some of their own supporters. Uh, one of my first pieces that I that I wrote at Axios was about you know the potential realignment we're seeing in politics where Hispanic voters, Asian American voters becoming much more Republican according to all the latest polling data. And the, the Democratic Party is sort of becoming the party of elite white progressives. And that's uh, a real problem, and not just for these elections, but in the long term, if they don't get that right. So not the biggest issue, the economy is number one, but that is a problem for a lot of particular candidates that can't seem to get out of this sort of ideological, ideologically progressive box. Besides, besides Nevada, are there other states where a, a growing Hispanic support at the polls might uh, manifest itself, Josh? Well, look, Colorado, uh, which I also wrote about in my, my latest newsletter, it's a sleeper race. It's not going to be the top of the, right. the political radar, but it, it's, it's a state where if you do see that realignment, if you do see Hispanic voters that have generally voted pretty Democratic in Colorado, if they move a little bit to the Republican side and the candidate Joe O'Day there can actually make inroads with other constituencies, and that could be a race that ca catches a lot of people off guard. And mm -hmm. O'Day is actually one of the more moderate Republican candidates, uh, relatively speaking, at least, who, who's, sure. who's in, a, in, a, in a key race for the Senate. 
Um, but yeah, and then, and then you know, the, the, the third issue on the Democratic side is, and really the third question I have is, how much is the issue of abortion rights going to get Democrats to the polls? I, I think Democrat, the White House has sort of almost given up on uh, independent voters, swing voters, uh, that they see the polling numbers. It's going to be hard to turn around by November. The one thing they think they may be able to do is get some of that base to show up in, in these you know, bluish states and districts, largely because of, of, of anger over the Supreme Court's uh, reversal of Roe v. Wade. And we're seeing some, some data points that show not a huge sea change, but more Democratic engagement and a slight Democratic improvement on the generic ballot. Josh Cantro is the Western follow-up. Yeah, Josh, I wanted to follow up with a comment that you made about the Democratic Party moving um, more progressive and coastal elites and all of that. Joe Biden, it seems like, or at least his White House advisors, political advisors, know that. And, but they're, they're not reacting to it. They, they don't seem to be doing much to counter that. It seems to me that Biden is still captive to Sanders and uh, Warren at all. Do, do you sense that there is a movement afoot in the Democratic Party to try to get more to the center to do what Tim Ryan is doing, as you described, in Ohio? That's a great point, Josh. And, you know, one Democrat told me a few weeks ago, more of a moderate Democratic strategist, said that Joe Biden got elected president to kind of be a bridge to the future, to calm the tensions down in the country. And then he basically picked Elizabeth Warren as prime minister. Basically, yeah. you know, a lot of the, the policy proposals initially out of the, that first year, especially uh, spending level, social policy, um, straight out of the Warren playbook. Warren didn't even finish it. She didn't finish in the top two in any primary when she ran for president, when she was on the ballot. She finished third in Massachusetts. Her appeal is very limited across the country. And yet Biden largely outsourced a lot of policy to, to the Warren staff and the Warren people. And that was a huge, huge mistake, politically speaking. And I think it's, it's most damaging, frankly, on the cultural in the cultural space. Um, the, you know, the, the fact that to fund the police, the fact that that's been tagged by almost any Democrat who said stuff in 2020 that they, they wish they said, or they wish they had back two years later. Um, it, it's extremely damaging, especially as crime is rising in um, many major cities and yeah. metropolitan areas. A, a state that we frequently talk about in presidential politics is now also in the focus in the battle for the U.S. Senate, and that is in New Hampshire, where the Democrat incumbent uh, Maggie Hassan uh, uh, is in the run for her life. She barely won last time against uh, Kelly Ayotte, but uh, that's, uh, that's another toss-up for you. Yeah, it's a, it's a real race. I mean, this is an issue, again, where Republicans have a, a recruiting problem. Uh, if, if Governor Chris Sununu decided to run for the Senate, right. as it looked like he might at one point, that would be a race that I think Republicans would, would be favored to Slam win. Dump, yeah. uh, but the candidates there, again, these are the leading candidate is a state Senate president, uh, Chuck Morse, who has barely raised much any money for this campaign. Um, and, and a lot of Republicans are worried that he's just not, not up to speed. Uh, for for a na you know a nationalized campaign that's going to come if he wins the nomination. So look, I think a wave like New Hampshire generally, if there's a big wave. New Hampshire frequently goes with that wave. So I would not be surprised surprised to see Maggie Hassan lose. But Republicans again are doing everything possible to blow that opportunity in, in what should be a very winnable state. In North Carolina, where Richard Burr announced that he was not running for re-election, he is a, a longtime Republican uh, elected official that in that state, uh, Ted Budd. Uh, got the endorsement of Donald Trump, and again, he, he won the Republican primary, and that was that was also a, a tightly fought race, but he's got uh, Trump on his side, and uh, he's going to be running against uh, one of the African-American candidates for the U.S. Senate uh, in uh, North Carolina. 
Yeah, I mean, North Bud is is a candidate who had Trump's endorsement, but he also had other conservative groups on his side, mm-hmm. and he ultimately won the primary against the former governor uh, with a pretty healthy margin. So I don't think he's a great candidate. I think he's a little bit to the right of where North Carolina is, but North Carolina mm-hmm. ultimately voted for Donald Trump twice, and in a good Republican year with a competent Republican candidate, I, I think it would be cha- it would be hard for him to blow that advantage. Mm-hmm. Also, Sherry Beasley, uh, former uh, state judge. You know, and, and a compelling candidate, good biography, compelling candidate, a little bit to the left of where I think most North Carolina voters are. And um, and it also doesn't have the political experience. Um, she was a judge. She was an elected judge, but never really ran the type of campaigns that you see at the at the Senate level. And I, 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 I'd have a hard time seeing how uh, how she wins. I think Bud has a pretty clear. In the uh, in, in a primary that's coming up on August 9th, uh, it's up in Wisconsin. And I, I, I think that early in the cycle, if, if I would have spoken to some Republican operatives, they probably would have said that uh, Ron Johnson, the incumbent, would be one of the uh, the endangered species uh, this uh, fall. Uh, yet uh, he's got a primary. He's going to be uh, kind of sailing through a primary, but uh, uh, he, he's got a target on his back as well. Yeah, this is a race. Uh, this is one of the races where I think Democrats have, have shot themselves in the foot by not having a, a great candidate in, in the mix uh, in this primary. It looks like the front runner nominally is the lieutenant governor, Mandela Barnes, um, African-American uh, lieutenant governor, who definitely has excited the progressive wing of the party. She's, he's gotten endorsements from Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. He's the guy on the left. and He's not running away from that. He is embracing yeah. the progressive label in a way that even like a John Fetterman hasn't in Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. And look, I think if he's the nominee, you can kiss that race goodbye. I just think there's so many issues that Ron Johnson, for all his issues, uh, could use against him. Uh, It's going to be hard to see uh, him, him, you know, it'll be a race. But I I just think Barnes is the type of candidate that would be below replacement level, would Mm -hmm. not be able to take advantage of any opportunities. Mm -hmm. Um, The rest of the field, I don't think it's great either. But but I think Barnes would be the, the Democrats privately acknowledge that this is not the type of candidate you run in this type of political environment mm-hmm. in Wisconsin. And uh, where else in the country are African-Americans either uh, on the door uh, of knocking for uh, uh, the U.S. Senate uh, or uh, or even governorships? Well, the big the big one is Florida. Yes. Val Demings, who was almost named as Biden's uh, running mate. Right. I was, was vetted and, and talked about as a real possible contender, a former police chief in Orlando. She's, you know, and, and was also uh, involved in the impeachment uh, uh, she's an impeachment manager for, I believe, the tr- second Trump uh, impeachment last year. Is she uh, gaining uh, money? She's raising lots of money. <laughs> so that, money is not the problem for Democrats. Even some of the Democrats' uh, weaker candidates are raising pretty good money, uh, national money. They, they, they figured out how to work the system and that they're getting big dollar donors. And even you know, with the Internet and being able to raise small dollar donors, you, you see a lot of these, these, uh, and her, these progressive candidates. And her, her opponent well. is, is uh, Rubio, right? Yeah, Rubio. And, and look, this is the Santos is at the top of the ticket right. in Florida. And unless something unexpected happens, he's got a sizable advantage in, in that governor's race. So the Demings is a very good candidate running in the wrong year. Uh, I think we're still going to be hearing a lot about her in, in, in politics in the future. But look, if she ran two years ago, I think that race would be a toss up running in 2022 in a state like Florida. It's just tough, even with all the money she's had and, and the good reviews on the campaign trail. 
it's going to be tough for her to break what, through. What can you tell us about the friendship or relationship at all between Senator Scott of Florida, Senator Rubio, and Governor DeSantis? If they're all in a room, uh, who's, uh, who's, who's checking their meals? <laughs> Senator, I think, from what I understand, Senator Scott and Senator Rubio get along fine. Okay. The two senators. DeSantis, though, does not have a great relationship with his predecessor, um, okay. Senator Scott. Okay. Um, there's not a lot of love lost. And Scott has mentioned it himself as a, as a possible presidential contender, right. just as DeSantis is, is really rising in the polls. So We've got um, to pause right now. 1-800-723-8289. Uh, Josh uh, Crossheimer joins us. Uh, he is with Axios. We have not talked about Arizona, but we will when we come back and a lot more. I'm Bruce Dumont. Thanks for joining us. Why does Comcast Business power more businesses than any other provider? It has technology solutions that put you ahead, like the fastest reliable network and serious savings. Whether your small business is starting or growing, you need Comcast Business. Comcast Business, powering possibilities. Ask about Comcast Business Internet and Security Edge or... Find out how to get a $500 prepaid card with a qualifying gig bundle. Call or go online today to learn more. Prepaid card offer ends 8-28-22. Restrictions apply. Call for details. At Jersey Mike's, you can elevate any sub by getting the juice. Red wine vinegar and an olive oil blend. It's how a Jersey Mike sub gets its exquisite zing and how bites get boosted. The juice adds a certain something extra. An exclamation on top of the freshly sliced meats and toppings. The kind of exclamation you can eat. Order Jersey Mike's subs on our mobile app and get delivery right to your home or pick up from your nearest Jersey Mike's sub location. Jersey Mike's, be a sub above. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. One in three adults has pre-diabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has pre-diabetes, with early diagnosis, pre-diabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has pre-diabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. <gasps> Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or ugh, my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners.
Bruce Dumont back. We continue with our final segment of Beyond the Beltway. And Mark, you were you shared a picture with us uh, seven years ago today. Yeah. You met Jimmy Carter. Yep, he was in uh, Hyde Park at the University of Chicago. He was signing his uh, memoir. He had a new book out, and uh, he was looking great. And uh, yeah, I just he's quite a quite an impressive ex-president. Uh, yeah, he wrote the book on ex-presidents. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're talking with uh, Josh uh, Crusher, and he is with Axios. And uh, let's talk. Uh, we got actually a caller that wants to talk about one of our states remaining. Let's go to John in McHenry, Illinois. He's got a question about Arizona. Go ahead. Yes, good evening, and just wanted to look at Arizona, Mr. Groshauer, with the um, with Mark Kelly. I know he's now running for a full term. He was elected in a special two years ago, but there seems to be some frustrations with the Arizona senators, especially with the senior senator, Cinema. and do you think some of that could boil into the Kelly race? I mean, for instance, the unions... Um, their Protecting the Right to Organize Act has been on hold for over a year, and Kelly's one of the three Democratic holdouts along with Cinema, and, of course, your senator in Mark Warner. Could that play into the fall, or just does Kelly just have so much money, just under $25 million, will that even matter? So Kelly is a very good candidate. He obviously won the Senate seat in, in, a, in a you know neutral environment in 2020 as they'll be out on the ballot again this year he's been good at kind of hiding behind joe manchin and certainly kirsten cinema hiding behind her skirt so to speak about i think he shares some of her concerns about some of the liberal legislation uh that was being proposed or was coming down the pike and, and but he doesn't have to you know as long as manchin or cinema are, are publicly against it he doesn't have as much pressure to be on record and he can kind of just stay in the background and that's benefited him politically uh, the bigger issue for republicans in arizona though is just the quality of their candidates it's looking like Blake Masters, who's a former top staffer with Peter Thiel, the uh, Silicon Valley entrepreneur, uh, billionaire. Uh, he, he's a libertarian uh, type with very little experience in politics, frankly, kind of awkward on the campaign trail, was not leading in the polls until Donald Trump endorsed him. But in a crowded field without many big name candidates, he's vaulted to the top. Uh, but uh, the the. the even more than Herschel Walker, frankly, Blake Masters, I hear more concerns about, frankly, on, on the Republican side. If he's the nominee, that they actually think Kelly would be the front runner. And that primary uh, is coming week. up uh, in a couple. Primary is coming up next, about almost a week away. Yeah, a week, a week away. Mm -hmm. Now the a other, the, this, this, this past. Uh, thanks very much for your call. This past week, uh, one of the big uh, focal points has been on Arizona, specifically on the governor's race, when Donald Trump and Mike Pence have been opposite sides. They, are, they arrived in the same state on the same day, and they each <laughs> endorsed somebody else. So a lot of focus will be on that. Uh, can you give any insight into uh, what's happening in that? I know it's not the senatorial race, but uh, it, it sort of borders on some of the, uh, the inner battles within the party Republican Party in uh, in Arizona, it's not it's yeah, not a it's not a united place. This is about as clear of a establishment versus MAGA test as there is in any primary in, in the country. You have Trump endorsing Carrie Lake in the governor's race. She's a, a former TV news anchor who was frankly once quite liberal, uh, donated to Obama, supported mm -hmm. I believe Hillary Clinton in 2016, and then became uh, very very far right, very pro Trump. Uh, and left the station a few years ago to run for office. Uh, the the her, her leading opponent is a woman named Karen Taylor Robson. She's a wealthy Robson. She's a very wealthy real estate developer uh, and has poured millions and millions of dollars 
into her own campaign and is outspending uh, Lake on television quite quite significantly. Uh, she has the endorsement of Mike Pence, who was just rallying uh, Republicans in Arizona on behalf of uh, Robeson and uh, Governor Ducey, who was a two-term governor, a conservative, who was a big Trump supporter until uh, the election in Arizona went to Joe Biden. And uh, Donald Trump didn't appreciate the fact that the governor certified the results on Biden's behalf. And that's created this huge rift within the Republican Party. We've seen that Arizona, there's something in the water in Arizona. We, we, this is not, even before Trump, Arizona was a hotbed of some of the more conspiratorial elements of the, of the conservative movement. Mm -hmm. John McCain always would, would face some, some fringe element running against him, and it would get about a third of the vote. Like He would deal with these, yep. the, these pro problematic primaries. Uh, but now with Trump, that, that third of the vote has been supersized to nearly half of, of that Republican electorate. Mm -hmm. So this yep. is a huge, huge bellwether test. All the, you know, the, the people who are more Trump skeptical have put all their capital into this governor's race, and it's going to come down to the wire, I believe, on August second. Uh, on the Republican side, one of the key questions that everybody in a primary is asked: Are you for Trump or anti-Trump? Or where were you on the on the insurrection on January sixth, or the riot, whatever you want to call it? Um, on the Democratic side, in the weeks or months that we have left, Josh, do you think we're going to get more and more questions about should Biden run for re-election? Is he up to it? Uh, and there's going to be more d debate about what the future of that ticket in 2024 might be. Is that a is that a legitimate issue to uh, to ask uh, Democratic uh, primary uh, candidates? Well, it certainly is an issue on a lot of Democratic voters' minds. The the notion of Joe Biden at age 79 being uh, capable of running for a second term, and when he would be closer to 90 than than 80 at the end of that second term, and it comes up in polling focus groups uh, the the fact that biden is not uh the, he's not presiding over a good economy the fact that he didn't get a whole lot of his promised agenda accomplished uh, you know everyone's out for him he's he's he's, he's not just losing support with republicans and independents now some democrats some progressives even are starting to to to, to, to jump off the ship uh, look and i think when you combine that with age i i, I just see it being very hard to imagine him running, running for a second term. Mm -hmm. But again, as an issue, uh, th that's a fair issue for Democrats to be asked, just as it's fair to ask whether you're pro-Trump or anti-Trump? Yeah, though I will say that they, they their, their answer would be pretty simple, which is yeah. that Joe Biden's president, he, I support his agenda or don't support whatever. And, you know, a lot of this is all hypothetical. But but look, they you're, you're seeing folks like Gavin Newsom or Governor Pritzker, who's on the ballot right. here, in 2022 who are making moves potentially to take advantage of a possible vacuum in leadership. So th that those are the folks who are going to get the tougher questions. Uh, they claim they're not looking at running for president, but clearly um, their moves show otherwise. Anyone who believes that, I've got a bridge to sell you. <laughs> Josh Krasauer, thank you very much. I hope I haven't mispronounced your name so badly. Give it to us one more time, straight from the horse's mouth. It's Kraushar, but you got it. You got it close enough. Kraushar, okay. I, Thank you very much. He's from Axios to read his reports on Axios, uh, one of the great sources of politics in the country. Mark Costello also joins us this evening, and Josh Cantrell also has been with us. Thank you all for being with us. Uh, the ever popular Fritz Goldman has been behind the uh, mics tonight. Thanks. When it's time to head out. If you see a buzz warning sign, call for a ride when it's time to go home. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council.
Going back to school as a working adult doesn't mean you have to sacrifice a high-quality education. Purdue University, a top 10 public university, took its innovative thinking to a new level when it created Purdue University Global for working adults. Discover innovative, practical ways to earn your degree online and advance your career. Purdue Global has already awarded more than 1 million credits for prior learning, which means you can save nearly half the cost of your bachelor's. See how close you are to finishing your degree at purdueglobal.edu. That's purdueglobal.edu. Why does Comcast Business power more businesses than any other provider? It has technology solutions that put you ahead, like the fastest reliable network and serious savings. Whether your small business is starting or growing, you need Comcast Business. Comcast Business, powering possibilities. Ask about Comcast Business Internet and Security Edge, or find out how to get a $500 prepaid card with a qualifying gig bundle. Call or go online today to learn more. Prepaid card offer ends 8-28-22. Restrictions apply. Call for details. What if the music stopped? If the familiar voices were silenced? If there were no breaking news updates? What if your companion and connection to your community came with a monthly fee? Don't worry. We're free local radio with you wherever you go. Celebrating 100 years and looking forward to the next 100. We are broadcasters. Text radio to 52886 and let Congress know you depend on your local TV and radio stations. This message furnished by the National Association of Broadcasters. Oh, goodbye, bench press. Adios, squat rack. Fare thee well, kettlebell. Hey, Kellen, need a spot? No, Jake from State Farm. I'm just saying goodbye to my pricey gym membership. What? Don't give up what you love. State Farm has options like insuring your home and ride with great rates on both. Nice. Hey, can I buy you a protein shake or a granola bar? For surprisingly great rates, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Call or go to statefarm.com for a quote today. At Jersey Mike's, you can elevate any sub by getting the juice. Red wine vinegar and an olive oil blend. It's how a Jersey Mike sub gets its exquisite zing and how bites get boosted. The juice adds a certain something extra, an exclamation on top of the freshly sliced meats and toppings, the kind of exclamation you can eat. Order Jersey Mike subs on our mobile app and get delivery right to your home or pick up from your nearest Jersey Mike sub location. Jersey Mike's, be a sub above. 